talking man this is going to be an hour long so just but then you're going to have more to cut if you don't have somewhere to start right yeah <laughs> i've always appreciated a cold open <laughs> just jumping right into it yeah they usually don't mention that they're recording though huh no it's not really cold at that point no it's not it's kind of warm yep see that what is this that's my 30 day uh chip Oh, nice. Yeah, it's like a coin that I got on my 30th day at the ranch. And I got that fancy keychain on eBay. Oh, yeah. So they gave you the coin, you got the keychain. Yeah, it fits a Morgan piece silver dollar. <laughs> I did have to take grinder to that coin, but by golly, I got her on there. <laughs> so I guess my, first, my question for you that I've been wanting to ask is, like, what did you go to rehab for? Yeah, um, I was taking Kratom for about eight years, and it was really cool for a long time. It made me like Superman. I could work all day and then work all evening, and then it started not to work so good, so I was trying to take less to see if it would work, and then I was taking more to see if it would work, and then I was having a real short fuse when it came to my temper, and then I would have like real bad guilt episodes and just be super depressed and I decided to stop it finally like on a Saturday Saturday evening I was like all right tomorrow morning I'm gonna wake up and go buy all kinds of vitamins and just try to stop taking this so and I've tried to do that a couple times before and it just it's hell it's like coming off heroin really yeah, so I've found out a lot about Kratom is uh, it affects the brain exactly like opiates, the same receptors and everything, the oxytocin and serotonin, dopamine areas of the brain, I guess, and so that Sunday I was mowing out front and it was like 103 and I was in chills, like freezing. And I felt like a lumbering giant, like a big giant meat suit, just <laughs> just dragging it around the yard. It's like I was withdrawing yeah. from like opiates, essentially. And so I was feeling really down because that's what it'll do when you decide right. to stop taking something. So I started listening to this podcast called Don't Kill Yourself, which... If you type that in, that's what comes up. And it's a really, it's just one guy like talking into his phone. And it was kind of sad. <laughs> but I listened to a few episodes of that. And then I was like, this is the worst feeling ever. Like, I'm going to go buy a bunch of seltzers and try to get through this day because I have a bunch of crap I got to do. So I proceeded to start getting hammered. <laughs> That seems like the right choice, right? The, Yeah. And you hadn't drank, really. I mean, you had drank some, but you had basically been sober from alcohol, though, for a year or so, right? Yeah. I, uh, about a year and a half. I, yeah, I was going to say even more. Last August, I fell off the wagon and uh, for a few days, and then it blew up in my face. Like, I was drinking a little bit after work here and there, and then one Friday, whenever I was off, I 
was a little hungover, so I just got started first thing in the morning, and by like one in the afternoon, I was a fucking annihilated. So that was a bad situation. And so from August last year, I hadn't really drank up until a couple weeks before June 6th. And I started doing the same thing where I'd sneak one here and there. I'd start with just one to like make me feel kind of good. And then it'd be two, then it'd be a six pack, then a 12 pack. And yeah, so that Sunday, I don't remember how many I got, but I was drinking a lot. I went back a couple times. Then I started listening to Hank Williams Jr. Bad Habits, or yep. Old Habits, Bad and New. Bad Habits, Old and New, that's what it is. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. And I started sending out song lyrics and stuff. Yep. Did you remember that one I sent you? About the horse or something? And yeah. Some high society lady <laughs> asked, is your horse outside? Yeah. No, ma'am, he's between my legs, but you're too fat to ride. Now you're learning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I was having a really nice little Sunday until it got to the point that I was drunk. You're having a good time, sending out lyrics. And then, uh, like, what with drinking, what happens? I started getting a little bit too nostalgic and then started getting a little sad. And then I started writing down a bunch of crazy notes in my phone. And then I started talking to my wife a little crazy. And then, uh, like, we got along fine that day. But I was just, like, questioning everything and just feeling super depressed because now it's, like, 12 hours, or probably 24 hours since I'd taken any of my DOC, drug of choice. That's, gotcha. that's rehab lingo. Yeah. And normies, that's people that can drink with uh, without any issues. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so I went and got some more alcohol, and then I called James. And I was like, can I come and talk to you? Because I was, like, in a pretty dark place. And why James? Because his dad killed himself, and I wanted to kill myself, so I figured it was a pretty good place yeah, to go to fair not enough. have that happen. Yeah. And so he was like, no, nah, I'm not home yet, but I'll be there in a little bit. So I went to his house, and then he hopped in there, and I was just like, man, I don't want to kill myself. I just, like, this one day of not taking this stuff is not going to be enough. Like, I'm going to need, like, an entire week, two weeks of just doing nothing. And I can't do that. Like, I just would love to be able to press pause. And I reached up and paused Hank Williams Jr. on the stereo and said, I just want to pause, man. He's like, go to rehab. I was like, huh. Yeah, that sounds good, man. Let's do that. <laughs> and he's like, really? I didn't think you'd take it like that. I was like, yeah, because I don't want to keep taking this shit, man. I'm I don't want to take that kratom. I don't want to drink. Like I, like I'm out of control. Like my emotions are up around my neck, and I can't. Right. Like a pin falls, and I just blow up because I'm overwhelmed by not just recent things, but like never really processed too much. Like my little brother's situation and taking him, and and then. He grows up and now he's married and I have my parents over like it's no big deal and everything's hunky-dory and like but there's still a lot of residual effect from what the trauma that you've been through really from the time you were a kid seeing both of us being in pretty wild environments that no one would actually know because we grew up pretty normal but they didn't they would never understand how 
abnormal our lives were. And then I go into high school, it's like, well, this is just what you do. Yeah. Kids do it, adults do it. <laughs> this is what everybody does. This is how you live life. It's Yeah, it's not even drinking. It's not like what we see from mature adults now. It's blackout. Regret all your decisions the next morning. Yeah. Parting. Wake up and go to the hardware store because you're replacing <laughs> doors. And yes. Just shit is destroyed around the house. <laughs> and it's weird. First thing you do whenever you wake up is drive to Tatum, New Mexico because it's Sunday. And, and you have a, to yeah go get beer outside a, of New Mexico. Well, a dry, dry county. Dry yeah. county, yeah. Just like that was something that was so normal to me. But no, I mean, I guess I kind of asked that because you, I mean, it seemed like you had everything together. I never saw really a bad episode since really what the, um, the only one I really remember is your baby shower. Baby shower. Yeah, and I wasn't getting like drunk like that or anything. It wasn't like a just like your first episode. He talks about how his life spiraled and he had all these things happen. But with you, you didn't really have any of that. That's well, why when I found out that you went to rehab, I was like, for what? Well, because I yeah, I was holding everything together, and I didn't even know you were taking kratom. That's why it clicked to me if it was that bad, and you weren't even telling. Because usually, you know, I see you hiding drinks. I I never even saw you take Kratom in probably the last six months. Yeah. I always had it on me. Had that thing on me, bro. <laughs> but I never saw it. Yeah. And so you were just hiding a lot of that, I guess? Yeah. And I'd been taking those Kratom... Uh, Drink things. Extract drinks. Yep. Taking a lot of those. Those were my special occasion uh, little party <laughs> party shots. I bought a case of those at one point. It was like $700. Gosh. Just classy. I spent like $250 to $300 a week at a, like vape shops on Kratom. That's like over like... Oh, and uh, you had your little pin thing. Well, I which I did see that, but yeah. I didn't ever see that as a too big of an issue, I didn't guess. Yeah, I think it's just all, all of it combined. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so I've been on like antidepressants, anxiety medicine for like probably four years or something but I found out at treatment like with all the extra shit I was putting in my body that was releasing all those chemicals like mm -hmm. they were doing nothing for me yeah absolutely nothing and I never told my primary care about my little secret so my blood has been so screwed up I've been at the the hematologist which is in the cancer center because my red blood cell count is like dangerously low in my hemocrit and hemoglobin they've been trying to figure out what's going on with that and I kind of secretly know the whole time like yeah I'm taking like a hundred kratom pills a day that can't be good for me that's how many you were taking or up close in, to it up last year around this time that's about what I was taking yeah like 15 to 20 like five or six times a day and you had to have known that's not good right it seemed like a lot of plastic going in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> but you just kind of felt like this This well, is what I need. Oh, yeah. Well, with, without some... alcohol, that, that I need something to replace it? Yeah, well, I couldn't... F I, w I mean, I've been taking it for so long, I couldn't do anything without it. Really? No, I couldn't do a single thing. So anytime you saw me, I was, I was on it. Like, sometimes I would wake up in the middle of the night. I'd take it thin, so whenever I woke up, I didn't feel like shit because like every morning was like 
just the worst feeling of all time. Like, just feel Because you hadn't had it for seven hours or eight hours, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so it was like a hangover, like a detox, like a small detox. So I would want that shit in me just immediately. And then every two hours throughout the day, take so the, another handful. So you get checked into rehab, and what was... I mean, that had to have been pretty painful then. Yeah. Like, we get there at, like, midnight. They're expecting me, but I blow a .34... And the limit's .30, which is pretty fucking drunk, but I was over the limit, so they didn't accept me. Yeah. So I had to go to an ER now type thing, and they, James just dropped me off there, because why wouldn't you just think that that's okay? But now I'm like a day without Kratom and fucking hammered. And so they give me a couple IVs and tell me that a shuttle's going to be coming getting me any minute now. And so by like 4 a.m., I'm not as drunk. I'm kind of pissed that I'm still just sitting there with a needle in my arm. And the people there are starting to annoy me. And I start getting kind of lippy and start throwing F-bombs around a little bit. And then uh, I rip all the shit out of my arm and walk out and tell them to kiss my fucking ass. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> Pretty much, and I get me an Uber and tell them to come bring me back out to the ranch, and uh, I go out there, and I don't know what building to go to. I would know now after being there, but I went to admissions, which is only open during business hours, and there's a ring doorbell, and I just went, <laughs> like hit it a million times. I tipped the Uber driver who was in recovery a $100 bill, because that's what kind of shape I was in at that yeah. time. So... I realize after about another hour that I can't get in here right now and I need to go to a hotel or something so I can sleep. So I get another Uber to drive all the way out there, drive me into town. She tries to take me to two different hotels. There's no vacancy in either one. So we go to a third. I say, just let me out here. I have to take a piss. I'll figure it out. And I go in and the woman's like, excuse me, sir, no vacancy. I was like, it's all right. I'm just going to use the restroom. She's like, you can't come in here and use the restroom. I said, I'm going to use the restroom, okay? She's like, I'm gonna call the cops. I said, do whatever the fuck you need to do. I'm gonna take a piss. And I went pissed and then I came back out, sat on the curb and realized I was in a real shitty part of town because it's a nice hotel, but I'm just looking at kind of like the hood right here. And yeah. I, I called my wife and was like, well, this was a terrible fucking idea. I'm on the streets in Lubbock. It's 5 a.m. and I'm just out on the streets drunk. And so I text James my pin, uh, dropped a pin for James to come and get me. Was he staying the night in Lubbock? Yeah. So I woke him up in the middle of the night. Yeah. So he wasn't, he had just went to sleep. So he's like, all right, I'll come get you. But he decides to go ahead and take his time because he's not going to be able to go back to the hotel. So he's getting ready for the day. And so whenever I'm talking to my wife, she's like, why did you leave the ER now? And I'm like, duh, like, yeah, that, now that seems like a good place to be, better than where I'm at. So I'm pissed off and I shatter my phone into a gazillion pieces. And so that I'm sitting on the curb like, ugh, that was a pretty bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get surrounded by two L. Uh, Lubbock County Police Department officers. Yeah. Yeah, and they asked me what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm heading to the Dove Ranch, baby. Heading to rehab. They're like, I don't know what that is. I was like, yeah, you should, man. <laughs> so they checked my ID. They went and talked to the lady that called the cops, which she said she was going to do, and she, she did. She did it. Yeah. And so James pulls up, and they're like, get back in your truck. 
and he's like, oh, damn, all right. So he goes and sits down, and they look through my ID and do all that shit for a little while, and then... Obviously don't find anything, see that you're normal and let you go with James. Is that basically how that goes? Yeah, and then I went to sleep in his truck, and he drove me back to the ranch, and I slept in his truck until they opened up, and they let me in. So that day, turns out, it's your birthday. Yeah. And I felt real shitty about... Like, not having a phone, not having any way of just being like, hey, happy birthday. I'm going to be away for a little while. Yeah. So, you know, those hungover mornings where you don't feel good about yourself. So that was real shitty. So it was the second day without Kratom and the... And you're hungover. And I haven't been hungover in a year. Yeah. So it was pretty bad. Yeah. So I... That was a bad day. Luckily, they didn't have too much to request out of me except just some intake questionnaires and stuff. And I just laid on the floor during a lot of that. I got put into like some suicide watch stuff. Uh, I f- scored pretty high on suicide probability just because of how dark shit had been for me. Mm-hmm. And so it took me like three or four days to stop having to answer those questions before they. I kind of started getting out of that phase, but my counselor ended up calling it floor coal because I was like the first time I met her, I just laid on the floor in her office, just hung over. I'd been mowing all day the day before. Yeah. I'm filthy. I'm wearing a beer shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing my dirtiest hat and my dirtiest shoes and I'm just stinking. Yeah. And I'm hung over. It was a really bad day, but yeah, so I'm trying to process. I didn't prepare at all for being here not a second right so my whole life is but do you think if you wouldn't have gone the way that you went you wouldn't have gone yeah if i'd have woke up the next morning i'd have been like no that would have been a bad choice (laughs) i'm glad i didn't do that yeah but yeah i will say that if i had not gone there i would still be on kratom because they ended up giving me like a stack of different medications to help with withdrawals and just to let me function slightly and I still felt really really bad for like seven to ten days and what did what did you do during those seven to ten days the first half of it they had a detox lounge so I got me a blanket and a pillow and watched some old James Bond movies in the dark like just wrapped up freezing yeah like I was kicking heroin or fentanyl it was it's crazy yeah yeah and between trying to explain what Kratom was to some people and then other people like, oh shit, man, that shit's like heroin. Like, how long were you doing it? I was like, I don't know, like eight years, like every two hours. Like, what the fuck, you crazy maniac? <laughs> I was like, I thought I was doing something good. Like, I was just doing all the legal stuff and I guess it didn't matter. Like, yeah. I still got very addicted to it. I abused these shit out of it. But look at my yard. Yeah. It allowed you to work. <laughs> like a maniac. Yeah. Yeah. How about that yard, though? The yard looks great. Thanks. So then, after you start feeling better, your mind kind of opens up in there a little bit to where you're then working on yourself, I assume? Yeah. It's called the pink cloud. You get it early in sobriety where... I probably hadn't been completely sober off anything since I was probably in high school. Right, because you're always taking something. Yeah. 
So, like after about eight days, like you start feeling sometimes like a super creative, like explosion of just ideas and things. Like you feel like you're 15 years old. It's called the pink cloud phase of sobriety. And it, it was pretty awesome. That's where I came up with this podcast idea. And then, so how long until you get to start talking to somebody? Mm. Couple weeks, you got to start. No, no, no. They. I, I, to Kelly, to, to oh, okay. your family. To my family. And did you get to talk to the girls at all? Yeah. So every. my You have seven days of blackout. And then after that, I was able to make 10 minute calls on Tuesdays and Thursdays and 20 minute calls on Saturday. So after the first week, I started making those calls. And they usually weren't very good. No. No. She was pretty overwhelmed and... Oh, I'm sure. ...pretty pissed off with me. Yeah. Did, she, did, did y'all... Do you feel like y'all bonded, though, by the end of that through... Mm-mm. No? I was sure hoping so. I thought so. I was... Like... I'll tell you. In that place, there's not very many people that still have a job, still have a family, still yeah, have a I'm wife. Sure that's what I'm saying. You went in pretty put together. I mean... For the most part. With the exception of wanting to kill myself, I'd say. I was... Well, I keep forgetting. Yeah, we <laughs> keep forgetting that too. I, I don't really know where that came from. I guess just because of the the drugs. I mean, because you pretty much have a picture perfect life. I mean, where does depression come from? Pumping yourself full of Doesn't a bunch help. of wild ass drugs. I mean, I know that you came from a weird background, and your parents are in a weird place still, and so that gives you. But still, it doesn't really give you. But I'd a say big reason to have depression because a lot of people and the guilt of of it all and having to be like, all right, here's another morning I'm waking up feeling like absolute hell, just because I'm rocking and rolling at like four or five when I get off and I can carry on until nine. Yeah. But it's those mornings and it's the the evenings and it's on the weekends whenever I just want to not do anything but I have to keep going and I'm tired and it's just a lot of it was just a lot of ignoring my body and signs mm-hmm. and listening to anything it was just pop another handful and keep going so that's that's where that came from and I'd say just shame and guilt and like hopelessness just not like not feeling that I could ever just function normally yeah it was yeah so it was a trip and so how do you feel now is there still lingering depression and shame from any of this or you you feel like you're now getting into a better spot well i'd say there's different phases here because by the end of residential treatment after 30 days like i was on fire like i was i was excellent but i was in a bubble Right. Not dealing with very many real life things. So then I come home for three or four days and expectations will get you messed up. So I have expectations coming home for my wife. She has expectations for me. And that's where we both get in trouble because you shouldn't have expectations like that. She expected me to come out like super dad, just perfect like fixed ready to dive back into life right when i'm 
30 days sober and I've got a lot of tools that I can use to help me try to get through a lot of stuff, but I haven't dealt with a whole lot of situations yet. And I expected like her to realize that this was the best thing that ever happened to us. And like, it's going to stop the cycle of addiction in my family. Like it stops now with me and then my kids aren't going to have to grow up the way that I did. And I'm like just super optimistic about everything, but just different expectations and neither one of those lined up with how the other person was really feeling because understandably she had been left completely alone for double the work for a month and I she considered kind of what I was doing which is perfectly understandable she kind of felt like I was on a like a vacation kind of situation like which I used to kind of think that rehab kind of seemed like a vacation for celebrities College without and classes, stuff. I think, yeah. is what I was told, yeah. No, there's classes. Yeah, well, true. Coming out, you know, you've mentioned it, I think, even on your first one, that you have to have some hobbies. You want more sober hobbies. What, are the, what do those look like to you now? Record music, write music, record music. I didn't know. I'd never done it sober, but yeah. so halfway through. In fact, you just basically told yourself that you had to be drunk to do it. Yeah, and it just made me worse. Like, it gave me writer's block. I had no, <laughs> like, I was just drunk and I couldn't do anything. And would have to go back and fix a lot of stuff the next day sober. Yeah, so I'll tell you the story about, so my buddy Rob at Rehab had an MP3 player, and so I hadn't heard music my first two weeks there because you can't have your phone, yep. no no technology, no recording devices, yep. but he has a little SanDisk, little MP3 player, and it's got a bunch of, like, shitty music that I hate <laughs> but then it's got like J. Cole Middle Child yeah dead in the middle of two generations you know the one yeah and so I just put that on and it's been since I was probably like in my teens that I wrote to a song that had lyrics over it because beats are so readily available you can just find a beat and write to it but I wrote like three different verses to that song with that rhyming style and I started my first one on day 13, like at 9 p.m., just listening to that song on repeat. And I whipped it out, and I was just like, God, I feel alive. And then the next morning I woke up and wrote another one. And then from there I wrote an entire album. Yeah. Yeah, like 22 verses in 17 days. Wow. And like eight choruses. Like I wrote my part and it once it started getting close and another important thing there my wife got me an old ipod nano that i didn't even know she had but she got on my computer she's like well what kind of music do you want i was just like give me my logic pro stuff and whatever else there's some guys here i want to show some of my music to and so i thought it would be some of my newer music and stuff all old stuff and then sprinkled in with weird ass names like aw32564 were just beats and i had to search through because there weren't folders nothing was organized but i found 15 beats that i had purchased and never used and i was able to write to those and that's what i wrote the album to and so and i got that like which one of those beats i recognized i wrote it down yeah so i got that ipod nano after i'd written about half of the songs, but then oh, that last gave me... chance. Oh yeah, yeah. Last chance beat. I don't know what beat that was. 
Uh, yeah, did we do the Pioneer Tavern to that one? Maybe so. Country Billy, I <laughs> yeah. think, is what it was. <laughs> Pioneer yes. Tavern. Yes. That's what it was. <laughs> yep, so there's been plenty songs started to a lot of those songs, and then yeah. nothing ever became of them. But, yeah, so that was really cool. So I probably had that iPod Nano with those beats for like eight days, and I was able to create folders, playlists. I don't know if you even remember how those iPods work, but you can make an on-the-go playlist from the iPod. Yeah. So I would find the beats and then make an on-the-go and finally found, like, in the middle of the night sometimes I'd wake up at, like, 2 or 3 in the morning and not be able to sleep and just press, like, shuffle, and then a beat would come on that I hadn't found yet, and I'd be like, oh, shit. I have I a verse write. that, like, I not even have to write, like, oh, that verse I wrote to another song, like, that could go on here perfect. And it was... What were you recording them on? I wasn't recording them. Oh, I was you. just reciting them over and over and over, so no ability to record. I just have this, this thing right here. My wife sent this to me. So the first page there, that gives the, whenever I got it, but then all... So I had been writing the verses in a spiral notebook, but then once I would get them pretty much dialed in, I started doing them here. So I have the name of the song, the date written, the beat that I wrote it to, and for everybody, it's like a leather bound, super nice, like all the guys at rehab said it looked like an Indiana Jones journal. Yeah, I can (laughs) see that. Looks pretty sick, but so I have like a quarter of it full of lyrics and that album is coming together and it's gonna be exciting i'm excited about it linking back up with an old friend to produce and record that one and how was that talking to him afterwards because haven't even talked to him really on the phone just just through through text text and stuff and email and it's going good he's excited about it i'm excited about it we've been talking for a year and a half about maybe doing something right and then i didn't think something would be hey i have an album done Here's all these songs. And then I, so whenever I went to Pennsylvania, I recorded on this cheap little app and just got, because I was dying to hear the songs. Because right. I'd been reciting them over and over. <laughs> so just to be able to put a multi-track, put the beat and then put the, just press record and be able to record my voice on them felt excellent. And then he could have an idea of where it was going. And then I had a chance to like listen to him be like, well, three or four of these kind of suck. So, kind of. So, where are these newer songs come from? Oh, the Chicano beats. Yeah, yeah. They uh, think we're gonna do like a four-song EP for New Mexico, way. Gotcha. And then put out Reloaded. Is that what this is? Yeah. The the everything I wrote in rehab is on an album called Reloaded. Yep. What is? Do you have come out with short-term goals, long-term goals? Yeah, I don't... I mean, long-term goal is uh, stay sober, keep my family. It's pretty pretty important for me. Yeah. I'd like to have my kids not grow up like I grew up. I think they're young enough that they probably won't be able to remember any of the drunk or drugged-up daddy. So yeah. stay sober from here on out. I should have a pretty good chance of walking them down the aisle and being alive and uh, married, probably. Yeah. <laughs> all, all those things that, as I say them, they seem pretty like, yeah, way to set your goals high, bud. But I don't know anybody in my family that's 
sober and married, really. And I don't think there's anybody I can think of that's married to their original. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I can't ever drink or do anything like that again, so got that to f- look forward to. It's going to be a really Have you been long tempted time. already? Or not really? No, not really, because the the withdrawals and knowing that I have to eventually be able to stop something makes me realize that I can't even start a lot of stuff because I just right. go all the way in. You don't ever do anything halfway? No. Nah. <laughs> nope. You gotta go ham. And you can you get to focus on the gym and stuff too. I mean, I think that's probably an important piece because you're gonna get start seeing changes there knowing that all that other stuff screws that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a home gym set up in the third bay garage. Yes, sir. Pretty excited about that. Gonna get all swelled up. <laughs> what do you think about the name of this podcast? I, where'd you come up with that? Playground. Well, they say right here in this big book that uh, in sobriety you have to change your playmates, your playthings, and your playgrounds. Ah. Oh. And so if I'm gonna be living in a sober playground, I might as well call it that. No? It seems simple. I came up with that during an AA meeting. I didn't pay attention to anything that was going on in the AA meeting while I was there. I just obsessed over what it could be called. And that was, like I said, a week to 10 days in. I didn't have internet, so I couldn't see if that already existed. I had to wait until, I had to wait another three weeks to see if Sober Playground even existed or was already taken. So that was kind of stressful. What were some of the things that you missed in pop culture or whatever when you got out? Drake came out with an album. Yeah, you didn't miss anything there. Just one half of a song's pretty good. (laughs) As I was listening to it, I was like, man, this is pretty cool. And then I listened to like five songs. I was like, man, these are all the same and they could suck. (laughs) Warriors won the finals. Oh, yeah, we did get to watch TV sometimes at night. Oh, yeah. But I can't sit still and do nothing, so that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so is that how you feel right now? You just got to stay busy still? It's difficult to just sit, sit and be. Yeah. yeah, I don't feel productive. My mind kind of can wander. Mm-hmm. I like to have something to... In front of you that you're working on. Yeah, that I'm going to benefit from. And if you get bored, you get dark. Yeah. The whole thing is so interesting, though. I mean, to kind of hear your stories from it, being in there and so isolated. Like you said, a bubble. Mm-hmm. But you met, I mean, did you make some friends? Like, Yeah, I got really good friends. Yeah. How many but, people, were they, this certain rehab, does it take people multiple times? Or are there some people in oh, there yeah. for the 10th time type yeah, thing? there was people there that had been in rehab six times, eight times, 10 times. Yeah. And not necessarily that particular one, although some of them had been in there multiple times. And even while I was there, there were some people that would get out, and then within three days they would have gotten annihilated drunk and been brought themselves back, which takes balls to like have the celebration of leaving. Oh, like, congratulations, you made it, here's your coin, 30 days, good luck, you're going to do great. And then like two in the morning, three days later, they come in shit-faced, and they have to wake up and relive that experience, but they know that they're not going to be able to stop without like a relapse protocol. So relapse protocols like 15 days, I think 10 or 15 days, you come back there and you just try to get your shit together again. And then 
get back out there. Was that therapy for you, seeing people? Therapy for me was my wife saying, if you ever do anything ever again, I'm taking the kids and I'm leaving you and... Probably moving across the country. Yeah. So that was pretty good motivation. (laughs) (laughs) But still, I mean, to see people's... And to see people that were homeless that I was living with. Yeah, that's what I mean. So you see these people and you're like, I don't want to be like that. Well, yeah. And to also another really weird thing is there was a couple really old guys, like 50s, 60s, maybe. I think that's probably about as high. It was like mid 60s. But then lots of kids, like teens and then early 20s. And me, almost 40, this is my first time. And I was confused at first, like, am I an old guy? Should I hang out with these old guys? Or am I a kid? And I was confused for the first week or two. And then I was like, you know what? I don't, like, I just get to be me. I can go hang out with these kids and act stupid for a little while. And then they start acting too stupid. I'm going to just either call them on being dumb or just get away from them. And And when you mean hanging, what were you all doing? Well, lots of laughs and just stupid stuff and just, just... I mean, I'm just trying to visualize what it's okay, like. Okay, like, like, like a big table of people, kind of like what me and you were doing now, but yeah. imagine like another four people. Gotcha. And we're just making hamming fun of up. shit, hamming it up, just... <laughs> and just getting out of control, because you're just meeting a lot of people, so you're on... Like, I was dishing out some of my best material, and I was really on fire and words were coming out of my mouth I had never said and (laughs) like I was just coming out of the fog and at that point I was exhausted and I was like I had to go tell everybody like look folks uh I've been feeling really good lately and this pink cloud's been awesome but I'm very much an introvert and I have to go to sleep and (laughs) I might not see y'all for a couple days because I've really been out there and I'm just been going and making everybody like the life of <laughs> And then you had to time. go did you kinda go back to how you are where you kinda like your alone time? Yeah. Especially the second half whenever I got that journal to write in and some beats to write to. Mm-hmm. Like I was just super super tuned in. Like Cole with his baseball cards sitting on his floor <laughs> in his bedroom just writing down what they were worth and Man, I'm getting, I, I don't that. know why I'm getting deja vu. This is very weird, but, um, you ever get that feeling? Oh yeah. <laughs> Especially in rehab, man. It'll really trip you out. Cause it's like, I'm this con- this question I'm about to ask you, I feel like maybe I've already thought about it, but so people could send you things. I mean, yes. So I was lucky to still have a wife that didn't hate my guts too much. And you could actually turn your phone on and order stuff from Amazon, but being that I destroyed my phone, I couldn't do that. But on my phone calls, you could also write letters. So I wrote letters to my wife and asked for things. And she, whenever I talked to her on the phone, like, hey, I need some soap, I need some deodorant. I actually, they, we had this schedule we had to follow, but nobody had any watches because you can't have Apple watches. A little bit like the walk. Yeah. So nobody has any idea of what time it is, but you're supposed to be here at noon and here at 2.30. So I asked my wife to buy like... 30 of the cheapest watches on Amazon and have them sent and she did that and that was pretty cool to be able to give back to the community and everybody. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I said whenever you leave just pass it on to somebody so they can live here a while and so that was cool. I'll tell you uh so like my moment like I saw God and like he just slapped me across the face and I woke up. Yeah. That experience uh I had been asking one of the RAs like some people had some uh 
some t-shirts that had the ranch on it and stuff. I was like, hey, what do you got to do to get one of those shirts? She's like, well, we used to have them in the gift shop, but we're not really opening the gift shop anymore. I'll see what I can do. So like a week has gone by and no shirt. So I'm just like not worried about it. But then we're in a class and one of my good buddies, he, uh, he's cowboy guy. Reminds me of Brennan from Lubbock, my old roommate. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like I instantly knew him and we were like best friends, Yeah. but he's rocking white tees. Like he bought just white tees and he's wearing his starched pants and stuff. And you know, sometimes you get a white tee and it's like not stitched good on the sleeve mm-hmm. and there's yeah. a big hole. So I'm looking at that thing like, man, you look like trash, man. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm fingering this little hole right there. And he's like, oh yeah. And he just, he rips his sleeve off in the middle of class and it just blows his whole, he's like a super cut off. And I was after the class, he looked so ridiculous. I was like, man, come to my room. I've got to give you a t-shirt that's not a white tee. And so I let him look through all my shirts I did take a couple that I was like, you can't have these because they were <laughs> gifts from my wife and stuff. Yeah. I can't let you have these. But search through like these eight shirts and just take one, take two, take whatever you want. So he found a nice Eddie Bauer blue t-shirt. He tried it on. It fit him perfect. looked nice. I was like, all right, boys, I'm going to go get some coffee. Uh, ran into that RA lady and she handed me a bag of two shirts. Wow. Like within moments of me... Giving that. a shirt. Yeah. Like, I gave one and I got two back. And my mind just popped. And I was like, oh, so this is what everybody's talking about, huh? <laughs> so do you feel like you found God in there? Yeah, I do. And uh, it's hard to stay as connected as I was while I was there. Yeah, because life happens. Yeah, but I'm, I do say little prayers throughout the day and that's you're asking about like what this big book is and stuff and like it's all about ja is based through christianity used to be originally now it's a god of your choosing like it doesn't have to be fair enough yeah yeah but so it's not religiously based but it is it's a spiritual connection that you have to find to stay sober so the whole basis of alcoholics anonymous is you have to find your higher power and you have to have a relationship with your God. Mm-hmm. And that can keep you sober. That and that only. And that's the only thing, AA is the only thing that has ever stuck and is still working like 80, 90 years later. Right. Like they came up with that in the 30s. And so I'm in here doing this and my addiction is out in the driveway doing push-ups, like oh, yeah. getting stronger, mm-hmm. like waiting for me to slip up. So that is constantly going to be out there. So I have to be armed with, like, I can't face that alone. So that's the whole concept and the basis of like sobriety with Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff. So just not going at it alone and being able to speak to a higher power and just be open and realize right from wrong and just have like having God on your side, man, to fight battles for you that you can't. So it's it's the most important part of sobriety, I think, is just having a relationship with God of your choosing. Oh, (laughs) I was also going to say a couple things. Uh, Yeah, whenever you're first getting sober like that and you're meeting new people that are coming into rehab, like that deja vu moment you had, you'll be like, dude, where are you from? (laughs) And you just feel like, where did we've hung out, right? And they're like, now I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. Like, 
Nah, I don't think I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> just so weird. And you'd have people come up to you and do the same thing. Like, man, you look, you're so familiar. Yeah. After they're like a weekend, they're like, man, did we used to hang out? Did we party together? <laughs> I was like, what's your DOC? Nope. <laughs> we certainly did not. Didn't run in those circles. Wrapping up on your wife. And, <laughs> you're wrapping up on your wife and kids. <laughs> so How good did it feel though to hug them? Yeah, it's felt really good. Like that first time seeing them though. So excited. Yeah, well, I'd never seen my wife sober. So that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and and I say that earlier about I was just wanting you to know that at least we did reach out to her, but she did a hell of a job. I mean, 30 days by herself with two kids that age it isn't easy. Yeah. She's got a lot of resentment towards me, and I'm thinking, wait, I'm I'm all better now. Why can you can't be mad at me? That's old coal. That's yeah. floor coal. <laughs> I'm happy. Yeah. I'm here to be sober and Win the world sober prize. Right. I remember a long time ago you were like, man, if you could get all these different aspects of your life all going on at the same time, you'd really have something special. Because <laughs> I would like work on music and then I would get in shape and then I would, yeah. I don't know what else I do, but like I'd go through phases of doing different things. Well, since I'm sober, I really think I'm going to have all these different elements of my life kind like of all on fire at the, at the same time. Yeah. Sure hope so. Probably have, and you're gonna have natural energy now, which is gonna, <laughs> gonna be weird. Or yeah. have you felt sluggish? Coffee. I'd say my natural energy is coffee. You got a birthday coming up. I do, 39. I gotta be honest, sounds fucking old. <laughs> what do you think? It, it's, it's funny how ages start to sound not as old as you get there though. 39 still sounds like, I, I think 39 is going to be weirder than 40. 40 feels like it's one of those you get the gold balloons and you put them up and take a picture. Yeah, and you start a new, but this is the end of a chapter, I guess, as far as 30s go. Yeah. Be a good way to go out, though. I went out pretty hard. Like, my last drunk night. <laughs> I'm saying this final year is going to be great in your 30s. Oh, yeah. Get one good solid year under my belt. <laughs> <laughs> remember my 30s and then remember that last year though yeah it was really really hammered at heart home on that 39th though sober by 39 <laughs> what do you think man think we got an hour <laughs> i think yeah we definitely have more than an hour i don't know how you're gonna piece that together <laughs> what a shit show, huh? i'm not yeah that's a, i guess that was more like a podcast though oh yeah well who are you who am I? <laughs> Didn't really talk about that. No. You're my uncle brother cousin. Yeah. Love you. Thank you for doing this with me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an awesome idea. I really do. I think that um, each episode is probably going to be different because you're going to go through different stages. You're going to talk to different people who have different experiences. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. I think you're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> that struggled with different things. I've really been... Uh, promoting this whole belly laugh pink uh, cloud podcast and I sure hope that this one comes off as funny because I laughed it was yeah. fun for us but, yes it was but then sometimes we can be in a group of people and we can be laughing just like this and everybody else is just annoyed by us because yep. yeah so hopefully it's not like that <laughs> all right 
Thanks, Uncle Brother Cousin. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, man. Love you. Number two. Number two.